You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. We're calling Firm Foundation. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. I think we all have those people that when we hear their stories, we can be really encouraged by who they are because as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, so many times I think, man, that's an incredible journey. And I read these words and I think I I could never be that person, right? I mean, the standard that the Lord is calling us to is so lofty. I think, what, what would it look like? And so when we hear about somebody who manages to live out their faith in a compelling way, I think we get drawn into that. Jim Elliott is one of those people for me. Jim Elliott had the opportunity to be raised in a Christian home. What a gift that is. And if parents who drew him uh, into the scriptures and taught and modeled the scriptures and, and so forth, Jim trusted Christ when he was six years old as a young child. Jim grows up, he goes off to Wheaton College, and somewhere in that season of life, Jim Elliott decides, I want to be a missionary. I want to be used to the Lord for his good purposes. And so with that, he start, the question becomes, where? Where would I go? So he and a group of people decided on this unreached people group down in Ecuador. And so they were going to go down there and try to win this tribe to Christ. What they knew about them was they didn't speak English. They had no written language. But they found themselves saying, how do you go into it? Because they knew that outsiders were always viewed as a threat. And so there was a lot of hostility towards outsiders. And so they went about their plan for how they were going to do it. And you can read more about Jim Elliott and his stories. There's movies, there's books, all this stuff that would encourage you, I think. But they decide they're going to reach out. And so they fly overhead and they drop down some goods to say, hey, we're friends and what that's going to be. And then they found themselves in 1956 going into and making a, a relational connection with them. In that background, the tribe came out and some of the tribal warriors uh, killed Jim Elliott that day along with five of the other, uh, excuse me, with four of the other missionaries. Five in total were killed. Jim Elliott died that day at 28 years old. And I think that you and I could look up and say, God, what are you doing? I mean, this was a guy here to serve you. I mean, why? He was going to have such impact, right? I mean, think about all the people he was going to impact. And I think what the Lord wants to say to me is, Lance, you realize I can have impact not only as one of my followers lives for me, but I can have impact through one of my followers who dies for me. And so there's an opportunity there for me to even be encouraged in that. What does it look like for me to go live my life for Christ knowing that he's in charge and I want to do it for his purposes? Well, Jim Elliott, one of the things that he did was he kept a journal Uh, And so these words came out. And so as I I read this, because I think part of what inspired Jim Elliott was this passage we have for today. This is a picture of his journal, uh, and this is his handwriting. And you see what's highlighted there in the bracket. See where it says October 28th in the asterisk. This is straight from his words, and he wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, those words are significant, I think in a lot of ways, because I think that he takes them 
from Scripture that the Lord taught him, grew him, discipled him, and brought him to the point where he said, okay, so what I have in this world I can't take with me, and if everything that I have in this world cannot go with me, then the question might be this, how do I take what I have in this world and use it for his purposes for something that would be eternal? Now, think with me about how significant that is, that you and I would ask maybe a different question that would, in, would inherently come into our mind and say this, God, what have you given me? What have you entrusted to me to steward for your purposes, that I could forego this realm and live in another realm, recognizing that you could do something great with it? I think that's coming from our passage today. I'd encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Now, if you were here with us last week, we talked about two circles, and I think our passage today has two circles again. Last week, our two circles was who is your audience? Who is your audience? You can live for the audience that's the crowd, or you can live for the audience of one, which is the Lord. And if you live for the crowd, those rewards will be earthly and they will be temporary. If you live for the, the audience that's the Lord, it's the audience of one, but it is heavenly and it's eternal. Now, that was last week because he talked about it in terms of giving and praying and fasting. You could do all three of those things in a way that you do it for the crowd, or you could do those same three things and do it with the audience of the Lord. This morning, I think we have two circles again. Our circles today, or in this passage, are going to be this. Who do we put our trust in? Where is the focus of our trust? Is it in the circle that is of our own personal wealth and possessions, or is it in the Lord? Because he's going to make it really clear. So many of us could say, well, I'm going to just try to straddle and get in each of those circles. And the Lord wants to make it clear. You can't. You can't. You have to choose, much like last week. Who do you want to pray for? you want to pray for the crowd to applaud you, or do you want to pray to have a relationship with me? In this passage today, we're going to talk about the fact you can't be in both circles. You have to choose. How am I going to, who am I going to trust? Where's the focus of my trust going to be? And so when we move into this, that's where we're headed, all right? Matthew chapter 6, we're starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, there's our two circles. You can't serve both. You can't have a foot in each of those circles. So choose wisely. Choose wisely. He begins and says, do not lay up treasure, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And the terminology there really speaks of, it's not just don't lay up for that. It kind of carries a different word, uh, verbiage. It, it means stop doing the other. Stop laying up treasures here on earth. 
Now, I want you to think with me. If, if you didn't know the Lord or before you knew the Lord, then you only had the capacity to say, I live in this world where my goal, my quest has to be to accumulate possessions for myself, for my family, for loved ones. I better win is enough enough. I'm going to keep growing it until I have whatever empire I can build. Jesus' words are to stop storing up treasures for yourself. And that word treasures is significant because he's talking about what is it that drives your heart? What is it that is the conviction or the, com the compelling thing that causes you to do what you're going to do? So many, it begins with the idea that I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm going to build up everything I can build up so that I could have everything I could possibly need so that I don't ever need anybody. I will take care of myself. I don't want handouts. I don't want anybody to step in and intervene in me. I'm just going to take care of myself. And Jesus steps in and says, hey, stop laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, he describes two kinds of treasures there. One is cloth one of them is going to be precious metals. Things that were really expensive luxuries in that day. And so he looks up and says, look, quit building up and accumulating things. Because if you spend all your money accumulating things like cloth, then recognize it'll be susceptible to moths. You could store it away. You could put it in a chest. You can put it in a closet. You could try to seal it up but you're not taking those resources and putting them back out into whatever God may have you do with them. Same with metals. Those precious metals, you would bury them under your house because you wanted to protect them. Imagine taking all of your resources and saying, oh, this is, I'm gonna buy some good cloth, I'm gonna buy some good metals, and then I'm just gonna sock them away so that they are out of play, not only in my own life, but in the life of those people around me. I'm just gonna put them aside to, to protect them right? I just want to protect them. And then he says, you catch what happens? All of a sudden, what you find is moths can come in, rust can come and destroy, a thief could come in and break, up, break in and steal, and you spent your whole life building this empire, and now it's just gone. So he offers us a new way to think, but lay it for yourself treasures in heaven, there are other treasures that are going on in this world that we get a chance to be a part of, but we've got to get out of this circle and we've got to move into this circle because these kind of treasures, do you catch it? These kind of treasures would moth can't get to, rust can't destroy, and nobody can break in and steal. Now, if you're just a listener in this moment, you can imagine, you're like, yeah, 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 give me more of that because I've experienced the moths, I've experienced the corrosion, I've experienced getting my house broken into. You mean there's a way that I can avoid the moths? There's a way that I can avoid the corrosion and the thieves? There's a better way? Lord, tell me that way. Of course you're gonna wanna hear. And all of a sudden he tells you why, for wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, when we start talking about the heart this way, we're talking about it in terms of the totality of one's being. It's the idea that this heart is what drives us, it's what helps us think, it's discernment, it's wisdom, it's what drives us, it's what compels us, it's what our passion is. So when all of a sudden he looks back and says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is we've got these things that are linked. And the question that you and I need to be thinking about is, what is your treasure? What is it? that is your priority. I think Plummer wants to encourage us when he says this, we must store our wealth above and 
in order that our hearts may be drawn upwards. The two act and react upon one another. Think with me about what he's saying. Is if we're storing our wealth in, Lord, what do you have for us? This circle over here. Lord, what do you have for us? Then our hearts are drawn to the Lord. Lord, what would you have us do? What do you want us to do with what you've entrusted to us? But if we're over here, then our treasures are here on earth, and we look around and say, okay, what more can I acquire? See, it's a radically different question. What can I acquire? Lord, how would you have me steward? See, it's two different worlds. And as he says, you've got to choose. He goes on and explains it further. Look with me about the, new illust- the next illustration he uses. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness, okay? So now we've gone a step further. It's not only what do we do with our heart, where's our treasure, because it could be in this circle or it could be in this circle. But now he says, let's talk about your eyes. Let's talk about what's going on in your eyes. What comes into your eyes? He says light comes in. So we need light if we're going to move about in this world. And then he draws this connection. If you have a healthy eye versus an unhealthy eye. And he tells us the difference between the two. A healthy eye has light coming in. An unhealthy eye has darkness coming in, but you're not even aware that it's darkness. Now think with me what that would be like. He says, if you have light that's really darkness and it comes into your soul and it is dark, but you don't recognize it as dark, then how dark does it have to be? Because he's not saying that it's their fault that they're letting in darkness. He's not even saying they're intentionally choosing darkness. What does that mean? Okay, put yourself back in this circle. My goal is to trust myself to acquire as much as I can to feed whatever needs or wants or desires I have. And we say, okay, so I'm going to let this light in, but it's really dark, but I don't recognize it as dark. Then I'll say, let me get more, let me get more, let me get more, let me get more. And he says, how dark would it have to be? Because all of a sudden, now it just gets darker and darker and darker. And we're operating in the light we have, but that light is darkness. See, it becomes this really insidious thing that's going on. The eye is the lamp of the body. So what do we do? See, the, the Pharisees found themselves in a position where they're like, you know what? We're going to appeal to the audience that is the crowd. So it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, determine how we pray, how we fast, how we give. Well, that's the darkness that's coming in. And it feeds that darkness. Let me give more so I get more applause. Let me fast more so more people see me. See, that's what an unhealthy eye does. It keeps drawing attention to self. And so as he comes back here, then we're asked with the question. I would hope you're thinking the question, well, how do you get a healthy eye? What does it look like to have a healthy eye? Because you know what? We've all let the darkness in our eyes, right? We walk through this world. That's inevitable. So if we're going to have healthy eyes, and who doesn't want healthy eyes, then how do we get them? Well, I think that thread pervades through Psalm 119, and I'd encourage you to go read it. It's a long chapter, but I'd encourage you to read it maybe sometime this week. But there are several parts of it, like in verses 10 and 11, where the psalmist writes, with my whole heart, okay? He's already talked about our treasure in our heart, and he talked about our eyes. Follow his thinking. With my whole heart, I seek you, Okay? So we have heart eyes in the same verse. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, for I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
I want my passion, I want my drive, I want my focus, I want the totality of my being to follow after you, Lord. Let me not wander, wander from your commandments. That's my heart, uh, that's my passion, the totality of who I wanna be. Verse 18, so open my eyes, because if I'm gonna let light in, my eyes have to be open. So open my eyes that I may behold, that I may be able to see I want the light that only you have, and that begins with me knowing your word, and now all of a sudden, the light's coming in. Verse 36 and 37, incline my heart. Now I'm back to my heart. What drives me, my passion, my compulsions to walk with the Lord. Father, I want what guides my heart to be your testimonies, not for my selfish gain. Hear that? Selfish gain, that's this circle. I recognize that I don't want to be in this circle over here. I want to follow you. So turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Because the more darkness I let into my eyes, the more trouble I'm going to have determining where I'm going to live. Which circle will I live in? So Lord, turn my eyes away from that darkness that I'm letting in and set my eyes on you. Those are worthless things. Give me life according to your words, that my eyes are open, the light's coming in, it's driving my heart so I can see and move about in accordance with your word. How do I do it? Verse 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night. I'm opening them early that I may meditate on your promises. Lord, I want all of it. I want all of this. That's where our healthy eyes are gonna come from so that I can meditate on your promise. Lord, that's where the light's gonna come from. Forgive me for the times where I take in darkness from the world because the world can't offer me anything other than darkness. So where do I set my sights on you that my eyes are open, my heart is receptive? Based on the word here where it talks about if your eye is healthy, if you go to the, the Greek lexicon, it means this, if your eye is healthy, it will be, and here's the description of the health of health according to this word. It's motivated by a singleness of purpose. So it's to be open and above board, single and without guile, sincere and straightforward. Heart, treasure, we can lay them up in heaven. We can have them here on earth. And the determining factor is the quality of our eyesight and the light that we let in. This world offers us darkness. The scriptures are the only thing that bring light. So if our eye is going to be healthy, Jesus' word, not mine. That means that our eye will have, be motiva- motivated by a singleness of purpose. It will be open and above board. There's no darkness in it. Single, without guile, it's sincere and it is straightforward. You and I have the capacity to have eyes like that. The reality is this. It will only come through being in this circle, meditating on the Lord, meditating on his word, letting that soak over us because the world cannot do that. This world only offers us darkness so we can have a choice to make. That's why we can't have a foot in both worlds. Jesus goes on and says, you know what? Here's what we need to recognize. So if we're going to go through this, how do we actually go through viewing our resources? What does it look like? Well, one of the ways that light comes in, and I think this is part of what Jesus talks about when he talks about, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Because if you're rich because you thought, I'm going to go about making my empire, then yeah, it's going to be hard to step into this other circle. Because part of what the Lord wants to say is that when we have light, is there will be a level of generosity. How do I know? Look with me, if you would, at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. We went from heart to eyes, to now we see two masters. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve God and money. Two treasures, where do you store them? Two eyes, what are your eyes on? And then it sets us up for one of two masters. Now, it's interesting. It goes into a slave system terminology. It doesn't say there's two employers. It doesn't say that they're employers, that it's mutually beneficial. No, it says slave and master. In a master relationship, there is demanded allegiance. There's no questioning. It's authoritative. And the words that he's offering us here is, you can't have two masters. Either this circle is your master or this circle is your master, but you can't possibly have two masters. It doesn't work because you will either love one and hate the other or you will have this one and you will despise the other. Can't have them both. And he tells us what the masters are. You cannot serve God and money. Why? I think scholar N.T. Wright captures it when he says, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. That's why you got to pick your master, because I, either I will reflect this world or I can reflect this world. I cannot say, I cannot reflect, I want to steward what the Lord's entrusted to me at the same time that I say I'm all about building my, my kingdom. You can't be both. That's why Jesus says you got to pick, you got to serve, which is why when we come to a verse like this, and this one gets misquoted all the time, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Whatever the Lord's entrusted you with, you have the opportunity to say, Lord, I'm putting up in heaven, I'm looking upward to you, how would you have me steward it for your purposes? See, that's not evil, but when it becomes the love of money... Now we got a problem because we can't live in both. We're going to have a master that we have to choose. Does our allegiance go to the Lord or does our allegiance go to our own personal whatever portfolio? Got to have a choice there. So the invitation, right, is how do we do it? I've lived my whole life here. I think that's why Jesus said, stop living in this world. That's where you've been. That's the only thing you would have known, I understand. But now that I'm your father, I invite you out of this circle into this circle. Lord, how do I walk in that? I don't want to love money. So what's the invitation? And the Lord says, here's the invitation. You don't have to stay in that circle. There's another circle. It's a circle where you recognize that I am the giver of all things that are good, and I'm, I'm giving you for your needs. Now, let me say this, because I think it's really important, lest I be construed as attacking people that are savers. Scripture has a ton to say about planning and preparing and saving. There's a ton of that in Scripture. This isn't that question. This is, do I trust my savings or do I trust the Lord? 
And it's a real different view for us to think about how we're going to handle finances. Because when we get to the, this next section, what we see is this. Okay, Lord, you're asking me to not make the focus of my life my financial portfolio. That's not going to be my focus. Well, if I'm not looking out for my financial portfolio, who is? Who's got my back? You want me to live in such a way that I'm honoring you with all my resources? Well, who's going to take care of me if this goes sideways? Well, glad you asked. You ready? Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, can, being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you ye of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I've got to tell you, as a person who has heard that verse most of my life, when I hear that verse quoted, I want us to be real focused on what he's talking about here. Because so often if we hear, oh, I shouldn't be anxious, I struggle with anxiety, and Scripture tells me I'm struggling with my anxiety and I shouldn't struggle with my anxiety and I'm a terrible Christian because I struggle with that, let me say a few things. Number one is life in this world is overwhelming. I think Madeline Levine, uh, when she says this, we need to investigate the possibility, which is the greatest understatement ever. It makes me laugh when I read this. We need to investigate just the possibility that some aspects in the culture that we're living in, materialism, individualism, perfectionism, competition, may actually contribute to psychological problems. Anybody have any problem with that quote? That is the greatest understatement of all time. So let me tell you, in this world that we're living in that is difficult and it is overwhelming, if you find anxiety be an issue, let's connect with somebody. Find out that sin grows in darkness, shame grows in darkness. Let's walk together. Let's point you in some directions. If you need a counselor, if you need medicine, if you need encouragement, whatever it is. But I want us to be really focused on what he's talking about here. Because this anxiety, and this gets claimed for all of life, that's, I don't think that's what this verse is saying. This verse is saying, if I'm going to put all of my focus on, Lord, what do you have for me with finances? And then he says, you don't need to worry and catch what he takes us. You don't need to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or about your body or that you're going to have clothes. I will take care of your needs, your daily needs. I've got those. Will there be anxiety about going to a conflict or a conversation or what tomorrow faces or where the election goes or what happens to the, uh, 
our economy and the price of gas and the price of groceries. There is so much for us to be anxious about. And yet the calling of this verse is we don't need to be anxious about meeting our daily needs, that life in this circle, God says, I have you. You will have food. You will have drink. You will have clothing. You can say, but I like all these other things too. That's where we may need to differentiate between wants and needs. But the Lord says, I've got your needs covered. I've got your needs covered. I'm going to take care of all of these things for you. We have reason to hope. Granted, in this world today, if you don't know the Lord, you're undoubtedly anxious because you're worried about all that. Plus, where's your food, where's your drink, and where your clothing going to come from? But know this, when David, the psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the hills, from where does my help come? If you're in this circle, you're like, man, buckle up. Better find another job, better find another income, a revenue source, because it's all on my shoulders. This circle gets to say, I lift my eyes to the the hills. Lord, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm dependent upon you to do this for me. You told me you were going to do it. And he says, I got you. I got you. Because how do I know? Well, he gives us some things. Now, recognize as we move into this next section, he gives us two examples. And both of them have to do with the fact that you and I are made in the image of God. Because the first of them is, are you significant? Do you have value? And the second one is, are you temporary or eternal? And both of them find their answers in the fact that you and I are made in the image of God. Okay? What do I mean? Look down at his examples. Look at the birds of the air. They were considered to be insignificant. Nobody cared about birds. They could not have less value. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. They have no capacity to produce their own food. They don't. They can't go plow a field. They can't sow seed. They can't put water. They can't go harvest. They can't go store up the food. They have no capacity. So look at the birds. They can't do any of those things, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? See, that's lesson one. God takes care of the birds, and they don't have any value. You have more value than birds do. And if he takes care of the birds, he will take care of you. And all of a sudden, you and I can be like, okay, I get that. I can understand his logic. I can understand his flow of thinking. And then he asks this question, verse 27, and which of you can be an- being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? Now think with me. Okay, I'm going to be really anxious. I'm going to really struggle. Where am I going to get my food? Where am I going to get my drink? Where am I going to get my clothes? And Jesus says, can you add an hour to your life that way? If you're over here, that didn't add an hour to your life. Matter of fact, social science would show you that that level of anxiety actually subtracts from your lifespan. It never is going to add to it. So there's your first lesson, the birds. Look at the second lesson. And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. I, I don't think that he means that specific flower. I think he's just talking about flowers of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. So the birds, they, don't, they do not... Uh, They don't go out and sow the seed and water the seed and harvest the seed and store the seed. So they eat, but the clothing one, the flowers, they don't toil, they don't work, they don't spin the cloth and the thread. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So let's just stop, okay? This picture was taken, uh, that's the Sea of Galilee, and that is looking down into the Sea of Galilee, and this is believed to be where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. We're standing right next to a church that was called the Church of the Beatitudes. So I want you to look at that field. I want you to look at all the colors of that field. I want you to think through what Jesus is saying, because I'm going to read it again. I just want you to look at the picture, okay? So Jesus says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the flowers of the field, how they grow. They don't do any work. They don't spin the cloth. They don't spin the thread. But I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these flowers. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? What a scene. God, I've got to go, I've got to go, I've got to go, I've got to go. Because the anxiety he's talking about says, Lord, it's all on my shoulders. It's all on my shoulders. Everything's on my shoulders. And the invitation is for you to step into the circle when the Lord says, it really isn't all on your shoulders. You're going to have to move forward in faith. He comes back and says, oh, you, ye of little faith. And I don't think, I mean, it's not consistent in Jesus' character to beat us down or mock or ridicule us. I think the invitation is, let's grow in your faith. Your faith is small, but get in the circle with me. Watch me meet your needs. Watch your faith grow. And some of us are like, I don't know how to grow my faith. Well, it starts with taking a step out of this circle and moving into the other circle for sure. I don't know how to do that. Well, grab any of us with lanyards on. Call, give us a call. Shoot us an email. We've got Bible study. We can get you materials, books, resources. We'll walk with you. But when our faith is so small that we can't imagine that God's care for the birds has any impact on us or that God's care for the flowers has any impact on us, then I think Jesus is saying our faith is small. Look around you. God is caring for this world around us, and you have more worth and value than the birds that are viewed insignificantly or the flowers that are temporary because they grow today and we cast into the furnace tomorrow. The invitation is you matter more than the birds, and you are more eternal than the flowers, and I will take care of you. Now, those are huge words. Those are huge words for the Lord to encourage us with. Because all of a sudden, we come into these, these next verses. Therefore, we don't have to be anxious. See, that's what I'm saying. I think this whole section has to do with, is God going to meet our needs? Is he going to meet our daily needs? Therefore, don't be anxious. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He already told us that when he taught us the disciples' prayer last week. Your Father knows what you need. The Gentiles, the pagans, this is the only world they know. Of course, they're fighting and saying, I'm carrying it all on my back. That's the only world they know. But us, the children of God, the people that know him, that he's welcomed in, says, come live in this circle with me. Watch me meet your needs. That's who I am. That's what I do. And all of a sudden, we say, okay. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you're saying that it, my focus isn't to take care of myself. My focus is to say, Lord, how do you steward? How do you want me to steward your resources? All of a sudden, I'm seeking his kingdom first, and then God's going to give me the things that I need. 
Yeah, that's what he says. He's going to meet our needs. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's what he's always done. Okay, so that's today. Okay, so today, I'm going to have food, I'm going to have drink, I'm going to have clothing. That's pretty good. And then so often, right, we look at the future like the future is this great big bad wolf that's going to come and swallow us whole, right? Okay, so I got today. I got food, drink, and clothing today. What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? I mean, tomorrow's going to be scary. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, so today... I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust he's going to meet my provision. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems. But know this. Today, God's going to meet my needs. And tomorrow, when tomorrow comes around, it's going to be today. And today, he's going to meet my needs. And so tomorrow, when it becomes today, even though it's still tomorrow, my needs are going to be met. That clear? So just focus on today. I don't know what the stock market, I don't either. I don't know what gas price, I don't either. I don't know how much a dozen eggs are going to cost next week. I don't either. You know what doesn't change? Our good God who provides and sustains and has said, I've got you. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers of the field. I can take care of them. You matter more than anything else. You're made in my image. No other part of creation is made in my image. I have you. Trust me in that. And all of a sudden, I think, okay, so you're telling me, get out of that circle, come to this circle, and then just stay in this circle. Today? Yes, today. What about tomorrow? Yeah, just stay there today. And tomorrow will become today, tomorrow. And so just stay there and watch me meet your needs again tomorrow when it becomes today. Because this provision is always daily. It's always in the now. It's never too late. It's never too late. And it's rarely early. You know why? Because he wants to keep bringing us to himself. He is our God. In Genesis 22, we see uh, the name Yahweh Yireh, the Lord provides, come up. But I want to trace this thought with you. This idea of daily bread goes back so far. We saw it in the disciples' prayer last week. This is when they're in the wilderness. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion each day. He wasn't giving them bread for the week or the month or further. Here's the bread for today, and that's all you can grab. Just grab the bread for today. Anything else is going to spoil, because I want you to come back and get the bread from me tomorrow. It's going to remind you of your dependence. It's going to bring you into a routine and the knowledge that day by day I'm providing for you. So he said, I want you to go out. I want you to do that. So this idea of daily bread's coming. But in Micah 5.2, which is, right, a Christmas verse. We always read it every Christmas. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you're too little among the clans of Judah. Bethlehem is a Hebrew word, Bethlehem, which means, guess what? House of bread. That daily bread that was manna that was given to them every day in the wilderness, now God's saying through the prophet Micah, but you, Bethlehem, the house of bread, the world might think you're insignificant because you're so small, but out of you, the house of bread is going to come forth from me, one who's to be ruler of Israel, who's coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. 
The bread is coming. It's coming through Bethlehem, the house of bread. So when Jesus finds himself in the wilderness and Satan's coming to tempt him, and the tempter comes and says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Let me tell you, our world is fixated on trying to offer you and me stones and trying to convince us that it's bread. And it doesn't work. That's why this world is so dark over here. Because Satan is like, here, have some stones. That's bread. Don't fall for it. The Lord didn't fall for it. Matter of fact, he said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Turns out he understood Psalm 119. What's your treasure? Where's your heart? How do we let the light in? Comes from every word in the mouth of God. That's the only bread. So in Matthew 6, 11, when he says, give us our daily bread, that was first shown to us back in Exodus when they were in the wilderness. Bethlehem, you're going to become a house of bread. And all of a sudden, we're going to keep praying for this because in John chapter 6, we're going to have the words, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I have fallen for so many stones that I thought were bread, join the club. We've all been there. If you're tired of eating that, those stones that felt like maybe they could be bread and you found out they weren't, the invitation is to say, come to me. I am the bread of life. I will meet your needs. I will provide for you. I will sustain you. And the invitation is that because of who Jesus is, that in our sin and our rebellion against God, we were separated from him. The cost and the penalty of that was death. Jesus came to earth. He never sinned. He never rebelled. When he went to the cross, he was sinless which meant he didn't have to pay his bill. He could pay my bill or your bill. But because he conquered death, he can pay all of our bills because on day three, he walked out of the grave. And he walked out of the grave and he said, I'm the bread of life. I am here to meet your daily needs. I love you, I'm committed to you, and I want you to have a relationship with me. Let in the light, because this world over here is nothing but darkness. That's all it is. And it's a bunch of stones that you want the world to make you think are bread. It doesn't work. This is the world you were made for. And it's the invitation for us to come. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.